Hello, Bible Love listeners. Thank you for joining us today. It is Ascension Day. We thought we would start our time together with the Collect for Ascension Day, which is found on page 226 of the Book of Common Prayer. Lord be with you. And also with you. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we may also in heart and mind there ascend and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A special guest this week. This is one of my friends from seminary, graduated a year ahead of me, Greg Milliken. He's the rector of Grace Episcopal in New Lenox in the Diocese of Chicago. Greg probably doesn't remember this, but he is one of the only things I remember about my tour to VTS. Uh, I toured, actually, Greg was touring as well. I toured a year before I was supposed to, whatever. And I remember walking from the hill, BTS's hill, to Episcopal High School on a tour of everything and having a conversation with Greg about a call to ordained ministry. This was very early on in my process. I was wrestling with stuff and, and Greg was about to enroll in seminary. It was closer to him actually being there. And so he's written a book about discernment and being called, but I kind of remember much about that visit, but I remember having this conversation with Greg and I try not to embarrass him. But then, you know, a couple years later, I enrolled in seminary. Greg and I worked together on marketing for Spring Visit Weekend because he's a Hollywood bigwig, and I was an old PR guy. And we even got Greg to play football. You know, that's a big theme around here is all the guests I bring on are former Fighting Friars. Yeah. It's important. Greg, I cannot so. get away from the Fighting Friars, so yeah. I have decided to embrace them all as you my friends. To. You have to Stop submit. Getting away from them. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. So, Greg, welcome to Bible Love. Thanks for joining us, even when you are in sunny California on vacation. <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. And it's actually June gloom uh, or May gray, they call it right now. But, but it'll work. It'll work. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so we are still trudging along through Leviticus. Um, we're not dealing with... Um, the like physically messy stuff that we were last week with like blood and discharge and things, but we're dealing with things that are messy in another way. This is the portion of Leviticus. that's kind of the holiness code and we'll go through and some of it's repetitive. We'll read through some bits and then um, talk about it and then read through some more. Uh, so we'll start here at the beginning of Leviticus 17. I'm reading from the NRSV. The Lord spoke to Moses Speak to Aaron and his sons, to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is what the Lord commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or slaughters it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, he shall be held guilty of bloodshed. 
Then it goes on to say, say them further, anyone of the house of Israel or of the aliens who reside among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting shall be cut off from the people. And it goes on in like this first chapter 17, a lot of it has to do with the holiness of the sacrifice. And mm-hmm. Why? God's being pretty rigid here. If you don't do, I mean, we saw it with Aaron's sons, right? If you mess up the liturgy, you're going to get struck dead. Yeah. And now God's putting that into the holiness code. What is, what does that make y'all think of? It's, it's not the first time we've heard it in Leviticus, right? Um, <laughs> and it makes me think it's pretty important if God keeps bringing it up. What about you, Greg? Uh, very important, I would clarify to say, for the Hebrews, very important for them to get to get some of this down in writing. And I, I can't help but smile, and I'm, I'm sorry I missed the, um, the one about bodily fluids last week, but, um, <laughs> but they're all kind of a part of it. Yeah, I missed out. Um, I just can't help but think, um, very first thing is, you know, I'm trying to think of, okay, what's the context? Where, where are they coming from and where am I coming from? And the first thing that just pops in my mind is how can, um, how can this be taken as instruction? And we're going to get to parts that are taken out of context as instruction for the 21st century. Well, I'm like, okay, well, clearly this uh, sacrificing of ritual animals went really well because we don't do it anymore, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm already, I'm, I'm approaching it from the, as our professor would say, dialogical approach. And I'm going, okay, not only is this ancient culture, but this is ancient practice. This is... This is out of um, this was important at one at one part of time, but it's amazing how it's no no longer important to our um, our ritual or spiritual lives at least. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a if I'm approaching the text, I'm kind of walking around it, <laughs> kind of asking some questions. <laughs> well, ask me what you said about just naming that for the Hebrews, yeah. you know, and that like, that's so essential. Right. Um, and I think we can get really caught up when we're reading the Bible. How does this pertain to my life in this time period? And that's important. I mean, we, we, we want that. We don't want to walk away from that, but we also, when we're just reading it, have to remember it was written at a certain time for a certain people. Right. Right. This is still a setting not too far removed, sorry, that, you know, they were in bondage and God chose them and freed them. So this is their story, of course. You're hearing the story from the the winners of that fight. And now the holiness code, my interpretation is probably nothing earth shattering. Sorry, as a truck goes by. This holiness code is trying to say, here's what, not just what our people uh how we worship or what we look like, but here's the behaviors that this community, the Hebrews now does that kind of fences them in and says, here's how, you know, you're in God's chosen people's camp because mm-hmm. of these strict rule, strict, um, yeah, rules. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that, you know, at the end of Exodus even and throughout Leviticus so far is there, God's setting up a framework. Moses and Aaron are setting up a framework. This this is how we make our identity. Some of it may be like a pre-scientific straining for health. Like when you say eat these things and not these things, some of that may be if you eat these, you're going to get sick. 
some of it seems rather arbitrary, but it, I think it comes down to who are we as the Hebrews? And I'm also disappointed to hear that y'all do not practice animal sacrifice at Grace New Lenox. <laughs> I tried it and it just didn't go over so well. So we went back to Eucharist. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get into chapter 18 a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um, so this, um, this is the sexual relations part of Leviticus. And there is a lot here. Um, pretty much anybody you could think of is addressed in this, whether it is um, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law. There's a lot about nakedness. There's a lot about who should be there and who should not. Um, and it's filled with a lot of this, 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 this. So I wonder, um, I mean, we could sit here and read it, but I wonder if it would be more fruitful for us to have a conversation about it because this is the part of Leviticus that people really want to try to control, I think is the right way to say that maybe, when we're talking about um, relationships that might not look like what people think of as relationships, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, as our world is evolving and people are becoming of their own and being true to themselves and who they are as people, whether that be in their sexuality or in their race or whatever it may be. This is the part sometimes we like to throw at those folks face and say, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. So I wonder if we should have a conversation around that. I love what you said, Mary Balfour, because it's it. it it has shown um, more, probably more than any other book in the Bible. It has shown its capacity for uh, or people's capacity to shut down conversation with it. Mm-hmm. it the, the phrases or the sentences in here, or the verses we'll probably cherry pick that um, are used particularly against homosexuality are often used in a way to, to uh, end the dialogue to say, nope, Bible says this. There's no other interpretation, and that's it. Um, at the same time, for the LGBT community's perspective, especially those approaching the Bible, this is in the Bible. And there's lots of things that we love about the Bible. And there's lots of things we wish weren't there. Um, and we're not the only community that ignores things that are written in the Bible. Think about the general population ignoring all kinds of things that are also mentioned in Leviticus. But... Um, but I, I do, if you, I mean, well, I want to hear what you think, but I wonder if maybe we, we drill down on that um, 1822 is really the verse we're talking about. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you want to read it, Greg? Yeah, look, let me grab it. Um, my copy, New Revised Standard Version, is on my screen. Give me one second. And it is paired with another verse in verse 20, 10, that is virtually identical, kind of rewords it. So often it's these two in, in particular. And I probably should say that there's, I think, seven explicit um, verses of Scripture, Old and New Testament, that mention homosexuality. Three in um, the New Testament, two in Paul, one in First Timothy. And then four in the Old Testament, two in Genesis, and then these two in Leviticus. And that's it. <laughs> and I, I just, I, even wow. before I get there, I, one of the first things I try to that's tell, really especially. 
Yeah, exactly. And now weigh that uh, against really important information. Yeah. Weigh that next to how many times Jesus others talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, as we are about to point out, is in this book as well. Um about how many other things we talk about, how many Jesus probably talks about divorce, you know, double the amount of time he talks about anything remote to sexuality, let alone that he never mentions homosexuality. So for Christians, it's important to put kind of remember that, put that hat on. But okay, 1822 specifically says, uh, right, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. You shall not have sexual relations with any animal and goes on, which so verse 23 makes the connection because it's right there next to it, talking about bestiality, which sometimes, you know, sometimes you hear a political argument that um, same sex marriage will lead to marrying animals and other things that just is just a kind of a nonsensical argument, really. So anyway, but in fairness, 1822 seems to just forbid that practice. It's um if you allow me just a moment, the the context is um, a world in which, as you begin your Bible study in Genesis, a world in which the most important thing, one of the most important things. All right, we'll put love. Maybe love's most important. But the next important thing is the spreading of Abraham's seed throughout the generations. Right. So right from the start, the importance on on having children. Um, not just to f have a family of 12, but to ensure dynasties, ensure the, the longevity of children. In this ancient period, we're talking thousands of years ago when this book was committed to, to scroll. This is a time period where procreation is everything. And you were measured against whether, and you know, this is not an LGBT issue. This is about women with infertility issues. This is, it, it, yeah, see? <laughs> If you can't procreate, what good are you is what the society sometimes is saying. And that's, that's, you know, that's where you have to approach this so gently. So therefore, you know, anything, the, what the, the Leviticus writer is saying or getting down that the community has to understand anything a man does to jeopardize or harm the possibility of procreating children for the family. That's the abomination. You lie down with the woman as you would a man, you're not going to procreate. Uh, we can drill down further on this if you want me to get a little more graphic about what he's saying. But, you know, if you everybody that's gone to health class in seventh grade knows that there's kind of only really one spot that a man can probably approach um, to facilitate procreating. If you do it with a man, that's not happening. So why bother? Because in this time period, Sex for love and pleasure was not a possibility. It wasn't even it wasn't even a concept. Just the same way that men in love with other men or women in love with other women, they, love was never part of it. They never they just didn't have the vocabulary for it. If that makes any sense, I've said too much. What? Tell me what you all think. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. I just like could cry thinking about the way you described that and how beautiful it is and how much more connected I feel to you. You don't know this about me, but I don't have children. And so never have, never will. And so I'm in that same camp, right? I'm right there with you. 
Um, and so I appreciate that so much. And um, just the basic understanding of what this biblical teaching is about, I think lifts so much nervousness off the conversation, so much awkwardness off the conversation. And that when, I mean, I've known this, but what I hope that some of our listeners, when they get hit with this verse, they can repeat exactly what you just said, because it makes so much sense. Being in love, understanding what love was during that time period was not something people understood. And this is all about having children. And that doesn't happen when two males or two females are together. It's pretty simple in a lot of ways. Alan, what do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, I see the setup for this at the beginning of 18, right? Part of this is, is God through Moses is saying, don't be like the Egyptians. And so they're setting up, again, this is identity. And like, I don't know what was happening in Egypt, but if they say, don't be like the Egyptians and then say, don't sleep with this person or this person or this person, right? Like Egypt must have been pretty wild. Um, if they're trying to set up all these sexual relations apart from that. But, you know, I hadn't really, I'm a straight white guy and I have two kids, right? And so I come at this from a different place. Um, I haven't had to think about this verse the way that, that other folks have. Um, I was raised in a more evangelical tradition that sometimes misused and abused these verses. Um, but to hear you say that, right? Like it, I'm 41, I'm a priest, and I just learned something new about love today from you, right? Um, so thank you for that, yeah. number one. But also, it gets back to, but, right, because you keep going, and not to skip, but the next, the very next chapter, yes. right, God says, you shall not hate in your heart anyone. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we forget that part of Leviticus, mm -hmm. but we always remember that one verse in Leviticus. And, uh, and, and whether that means we remember it by, because we're wrestling with it and trying to make sense of it, or we remember it because this is the bludgeon I'm going to use against those people, we remember that. But love your neighbor as yourself, people are going to say, oh, Jesus said that. Well, no, Jesus is quoting Leviticus when he says that. So let me ask a question to my biblical scholar friends on here. Um, so is this the first time we hear this in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself? I think it is. I think Leviticus. that's right. Yeah. No. So, um, and then to hear that right next to this verse that has been so hurtful to so many people. I don't think that's an accident, y'all. I don't think that's an accident. And so furthermore, Greg, if you skip to, hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, glad the garbage is doing their thing, but there we go. Yeah, it, Leviticus 20 gets into another thorny sexual issue, not unrelated. Um, this is 2010. If a man commits adultery with a married woman, committing adultery with a neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be executed. Well, that was code, part of this code for a while, and obviously we abandoned that as well. And, you know, show me someone, you know, in any family that hasn't dealt with um, infidelity as as part of, um, I'm not, maybe not every immediate family, but someone in family that's had, um, these issues before. Yes. Yeah, so you have these two, 
versus think of it like this. And this is, again, I'm taking this from Judy Fentress Williams, um, Holy Imagination, but it really helped me because often the placement of some of the text in the Bible is, is done to, um, draw your attention to something. So the, the, uh, pericope, sorry to use the geeky word of 18 and 20 talk about sex, how not to have sex, right? As part of the Holy's code. Then 19 in the middle, it's not sandwiched in the middle. It's almost as if the other two are kind of angled upwards like a mountain so that the, they're pointing to, in their repetition, they're pointing to that exact thing that you said, Mary Balfour, about loving your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the one to be taken up. Yeah. I mean, how that one doesn't get walk around and get quoted to people either. I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, you know, and that's just when you realize that unfortunately part of human life is you have a set of rules and sometimes some rules matter to societies more than others. You know, the, the pigskin, everyone's touched the football. <laughs> we don't, we seem to, we seem to think, like ignore the ones. I mean, we society tend to ignore the ones that we think are frivolous. And yet some of these are, are not, are not frivolous, but they're just a, a snapshot of a period of time that was talking about a certain conformity that doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, yeah. And it's just so dangerous to take those out of context. I think it makes me think, so uh, the West Wing is a TV show that's at this point 20 years old. I've seen this show probably 20 times. Uh, we rewatch all the time. And there's an episode early on, and I'll put a link to this um, scene in the show notes where there's a group of radio hosts and they're, you know, at the White House. And one of them is supposed to be a caricature of a conservative talk radio host. And there's some wrestling in the episode with same-sex marriage and, and issues like that. And President Bartlett walks in and this woman, they have a confrontation where President Bartlett asks about, you know, where in the Bible does it talk about homosexuality? And she immediately goes to Leviticus and he says, you can name chapter and verse. And then he basically says, I can name chapter and verse. You won't touch a pigskin. My brother, who's a farmer, plants one type of seed next to another type he, all these other things that no one knows, but he's getting to the point that why do we know that chapter and verse? But there's other things that apply to us more specifically. I'm wearing mixed blends right now, right? This is an abomination, this polyester blend vest. Why is this treated differently than the one thing we all remember? Love it. President Bartlett's like, oh, one yeah. Ever. It is low-hanging so fruit, but it's really good low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I just learned something new about Alan, like another connection we have. I didn't know West Wing. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. And you um, know, I, I, just, I should say, too, that any any society now that, I mean, we, it's obviously fractured in the United States as well, but any Christian, Judeo-Christian society that picks some of these rules out and saying this is more important to us than others, that says a lot more about the community than it does about God. Yeah. Who is not ranking these in any particular order in here. And I think that's sometimes important to remember too, you know, how much are you actually talking about your own, you know, culture or how you were raised or whatnot? And, and how, how much of that did you a disservice? You know, how much of it do you still need to learn? Who knows? Where is God pushing us to think exactly. about this? Exactly. Really examine it in our own lives. Why do we feel the need to cherry pick? Why do we feel the need to do that? Yeah. Um, 
and, and I think I think those Alan that might be some of our great you know kind of our questions for the week why why do we feel the need to get upset about whatever the issue is maybe we're talking about LGBT issues maybe we're talking about something else but what is it that makes us go but but the Bible says this right but we forget to say but the Bible says this too and I love your imagery of love one another at, at the mountaintop and these other two are sort of in the valley, right. you know, and the importance of that and, and how beautiful that is. So that's going to be my mind is why, why do we do that? And when we do, how can we help people understand this a little bit more? Yeah, exactly. All right. You, Greg, what's something you'll be reflecting on this week? Well, we, you know, we didn't really get to it, but I, I do want, I'm often thinking now because I, I serve in a congregation that, um, it maybe is about 5% LGBT, you know, so I'm, I'm in a more, um, I don't even want to say conservative area cause it's kind of, um, it's kind of blended, which is great. I love that. But I, I, I serve a lot of congregants, um, who are coming to these things, discussions like we have really for the first time or mostly grew up Catholic and weren't really allowed to ask any questions. Um, but they're very socially liberal, you know, and I think yes. that's very true for many Episcopalians too. We're really socially liberal, probably uh, more mixed on other things politically at least. And about how we approach the Bible, I would caution those on maybe the, um, on the, the more, uh, the, those who read the Bible liberally, let's say, which may not necessarily mean they're politically liberal, but tends to sync up who just want to just kind of do say, well, that's just Leviticus and screw Leviticus. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, and I know that I have a responsibility as a priest to not throw out a Le- Leviticus. Um, I would, I would ask the question to others, you know, what is it about this text that terrifies you? If you're a person that is scared to touch it, um, when all it's here to do is to invite you into a conversation not to instruct you on how to live your life day to day because you're not a Hebrew in 3000 BC. Um, So instead, how how is God speaking to you today? And, and to to ignore that conversation, even with the most difficult passages uh, would be uh, folly. Wonderful. What about you, Alan? For me, I'm still reflecting on that moment that I shared with y'all, right? Like I come at this with privilege Uh, I've never had to worry about these issues. And so how, and people will hear me as a straight white guy who wears cowboy boots. They'll hear me talk about these issues in a different way than they'll hear someone who is LGBTQ. And so how can I use that privilege? How can I use that identity that I have to, to talk to folks that would listen to me in a different way? And so for our listeners, we all come with our own communities in which we have standing to say things in a different way than others. How can we, if you're in a, a dominant culture group that has some privilege, how can you use that to help foster these conversations? Beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank yes, you, Greg. This was amazing. Would, yeah. Thank you, guys. And we would be not doing you a service, dear listeners, if we did not tell you about Greg's amazing book, Being Called, Being Gay. Um, it's available wherever you buy books. Um, I could not put it down. I learned so much. Of course, I'm an Episcopal church nerd, and so it might be more for some of us, but I think anyone that is being called 
to learn anything, whether it be a priest, whether it be to learn more about LGBT um, issues, whether it be, should I walk my dog today? There is something for you in here. Most of all, that God loves you. Greg very clearly states that God loves you and God wants you to be in companionship and happiness and love with God and others. So thank you for this gift, Greg, that you gave the world. I'm sure we'll link this. Thank you for the time that you gave to Alan and I. I have a new friend and I'm excited about that. I can't wait to see your journey and where that goes. I would love for you to come. We would love for you to come back. Oh, in a heartbeat. And uh, we don't even talk about gay stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We have like 100 years of recording left. So we will not make you talk about gay issues. I would love it. Anything. Um, And to my credit, we're not trying to tokenize Greg. But for someone to have these conversations, I reached out to Greg because I know him. And hopefully he trusts me and I trust him. And I said, we want to have this hard conversation and I know that you're going to do it and not think that we're just trying to single you out. Yeah. So thank you. Number one, for coming on and doing that. And for number two, engaging like this has been wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Well, dear listeners have a wonderful week. We'll join you next week. And remember as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Mm -hmm.